Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 34th episode of 2022. But before we kick off, I'd like to thank our sponsors of Fiber for Breakfast, including our gold sponsors, Graybar and Vetro. You know, yesterday, the Fiber Broadband Association held its latest regional event at the Copper Mountain Resort in Colorado. We had a record crowd, and it was an amazing event. Some of the highlights included hearing from Brandy Reeder, the Colorado State Broadband Director. Sarah Smith from NTI walked us through all the NTI programs, including the $42 billion bead program. And Tony Neal Graves from the Governor's Office and the Colorado State Chief Information Officer provided some great perspective on where Colorado has, um, where it started and where they are now. I also really enjoyed Jeff Ryman's panel on the Colorado Springs utility fiber deployment with five, um, with Brian Brian Worthington, uh, Worthinger of Colorado Springs Utilities and Amal Natick of Ting. Our next regional fiber connect workshop is in Columbus, Ohio on November 3rd. In Washington yesterday, 14 Republican senators sent a letter to Secretary Raimondo and NTIA on the bead NOFO. While the letter applauded the NTIA bead NOFO, it highlighted some areas of concern, which included rate regulation, preference for non-traditional broadband providers, workforce preferences, and unnecessary burdens on the NTI review process. Unfortunately, these centers included a plea for technology neutral, indicating that any technology, such as cable, fixed wireless, two cans and a string, should be eligible for BEAD as long as they can deliver reliably uh, 100 by 20. You know, it's really disappointing that these centers have been misguided and don't understand that we are building the critical broadband infrastructure for generations to come. If this 42.45 billion becomes a race to the bottom, as we saw with the billions that were spent on the FCC cap programs, then we'll continue to be in this perpetual cycle of subsidizing the same locations over and over again. You know, let's talk about a segment of the market that clearly understands what it takes to build the infrastructure of the future. I am excited about today's Fire for Breakfast session as electric utilities are the fastest growing segment of the broadband market. And today's session is Rock Down to Electric Avenue, Electric Utilities and Their Role in Broadband Expansion with my friend Scott Pell from FiberEyes. Last week at the Fiber for Breakfast, we discussed Connecting All, How Digital Literacy is Critical for Mental Health with Dr. John Torres and Noe Alon from Harvard. I am amazed and excited to see how health practitioners are leveraging broadband and developing targeted applications to significantly improve patient outcomes. Today, we're going to shift gears back to talk about fiber broadband providers and one of the most important market segments, the electric utility providers, in a session titled Rock Down Electric Avenue, Electric Utilities, and their role in broadband expansion with my friend Scott Pell from FiberEyes. Scott Pell is the Vice President of Quality at FiberEyes and has over 25 years of broadband experience, primarily in underserved areas. 
God has expertise in forging relationships across the industry to serve the broader marketplace. He joined Fiberize as a vice president of quality. He leads the process improvement quality scaling initiatives for the company. In January, Scott will take over the role of vice president of operations. Previously, Scott um, served as the division CTO for NRTC Broadband Solutions, where he led the scaling efforts to support rapid growth. Before that, he founded API Digital in Huntsville and was focused on building, operating, and supporting networks for underserved uh, areas, including Huntsville at the time. That company was acquired by NRTC in 2017. So welcome, Scott. And please type in your questions and comments as we go, and we'll work them into the Q&A at the end. With that, I'll turn it over to Scott. Morning. Thank you, Gary. Um, so the one thing that, uh, that you and I did not do is come up with a good one-hit wonder uh, like Eddie Grant did with uh, Rock Down to uh, Electric Avenue. In fact, um, uh, our, my mission success there was to get it stuck in your team's head, and I think, I think we got that done. And I believe the entire audience now has that song stuck in their head, so we did good. <laughs> so thanks for having me on. Um, I wanted to take a brief second just to explain who Fiberize is. So we've we've been involved with building fiber optic networks for electric power utilities since our inception. Uh, we do funding, feasibility, design, project management, all the all that stuff to make it happen. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were um, acquired by Intrust. Uh, solutions group. Um, I went to went to bed with 108 teammates and woke up with 3,000 teammates the next day. Um, they are very very strong in the electric power industry, particularly in grid modernization. And we're going to touch on some of that as we as we work through the various different levels of mission that um, that our customers have. So glad glad to be here and glad to represent a, a nice nice good organization. Hey, if you can flip back one. Uh, I think that it's, uh, yep, there you go. So Entrust has been around for 20 years. Um, one thing, a couple of things that kind of struck me, uh, we've got uh, 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 1,400 design personnel <laughs> involved with electrics, uh, 2,700 employees uh, company-wide um, in all facets of the power and in, uh, in, in gas industry. So that that is going to... Uh, play very, very well in helping us bring electric utilities in creating a, a utility-based broadband network, either to serve their particular mission or to, to serve uh, customers throughout the country. So um, so I shamelessly stole this from you guys, Gary, um, in uh, the, the research that that your, your team did together with, uh, with RVA. Um, that there are, there's a bunch of fiber still to be built. Um, if you switch to the next slide there, uh, pretty much over the next uh, five years, uh, we have to build uh, more than what has already been built to date. Now, some of that's going to be, you know, overbuilding and, and eating each other's young from a, a, a broadband perspective. Uh, but there's a large portion of the country that uh, is not served right now. And uh, I, I I feel very confident that the electric power utilities are going to be key in, in making that happen. Um, so, so there's a, there's a long pole in the tent of work to get done. And you know, when you can switch to my my next slide there, um, 
everyone kind of starts trying to figure out with the level of funding that's that's available how, how are we going to get this done um, these are major projects um, a lot of the underserved at this point are very very difficult to to get to um, uh, it, you know a lot of when we talk about broadband we talk you know 100 homes per mile 50 homes per mile when we start talking cooperative we're lucky to get 20 homes per mile and then as you get further out you're lucky to get three or four homes per every 10 miles so uh so this this we're getting to the part where we're we're starting to work through the harder harder to reach items so how, how do we get this done um and how do we uh, how do we make all this math work? So on the next slide, um, uh, just to serve a little color here, Gary and I were uh, part of a, a group in Huntsville when uh, the mayor was trying to figure out how do we serve a very, very high tech community when the best we could get was uh, uh, 384K <laughs> DSL. Um, you know, Gary worked for a, a high tech company at that point. We were all like, hey, you know, how come we're leading the nation in innovation and trailing the nation in being able to send an email about that innovation? So um, as we all introduce ourselves around the table, I was sitting next to Jay Stowe, uh, who is a CEO of Huntsville uh, Electric. I was able to say, hey, um, glad to see that I've got several customers around the room and we're all coming together and figuring out how we can get this done. And Jay, right after me said, well, I'm glad to see that pretty much everyone in, in the room is my customer and we're working together to get this done. And, and we all kind of laughed. It's like, well, you know, Jay, Jay has a, a brilliant point here. Um, the the uh, Everyone that wants to get electric power <laughs> is served with electric power all across the country. And uh, this is a dated graphic. Um, it really hasn't changed, forgive the graininess, but um, there's three distinct segments covering the country, um, the investor-owned large power utilities, the publicly owned municipalities uh, around the country, and then the electric cooperatives. I've, I've worked in both the cooperative and publicly owned space, and then our in-trust team uh, has a very, very strong footprint in the investor-owned. So uh, with, with the organization we have now, we, we get to work in, in all three of these segments. The reason why this is important in my mind for broadband is these companies are used to making number one significant generational investments you know they they understand the importance of a significant investment in a long-term asset for one but they also have to pay attention to resiliency and restoration and tracking those assets so a utility when they spend money it, it has to be on a 20 to 40 to 50 year uh, trajectory that they're trying to put themselves on because uh, they have to stay way ahead of it as, as communities grow they've got to have the proper investment to deliver power um, as power becomes more expensive or the utilization gets higher they've got to be able to match that and as people move out um, they've got to figure out okay how do I keep paying for this thing so utilities have uh, have to have a very long look at this and that's why I think they're key in this whole discussion when we're looking at the three segments, uh, I think the important the important thing to think about with the different segments is what their what their focus is. And I'm gonna start from the right to the left. So, the electric co-ops were founded 
uh, as a means to get to the under and unserved. You know, uh, uh, originally the bigger power companies were in the cities and the cooperatives were a lot of times groups of farmers that came together and made an investment in an infrastructure to get power out to the uh, 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 kind of the heart uh, of America. So the cooperatives are used to innovation. Uh, they've been around for uh, over a hundred years in, in many cases, um, and they've had to figure out how to make do. Um, and over the years, they've become a lot more savvy in investment planning. Uh, so as the, the broadband revolution to rural America kind of took place, the, uh, the, the power co-ops were very attuned to coming up with 20, 40, 100 million dollars to make this happen. But they also have the same concerns as all the other power companies. I've listed a few out, grid modernization, asset management, service restoration, green power and microgrid. Uh, if you think about it, a, a co-op. Uh, uh, might be a, a version of a microgrid to a big investor-owned company. They take care of a smaller area. Um, that takes me over to the publicly owned. This is the municipalities. Um, I do see a lot of partnerships between the co-ops and the municipalities. A lot of co-ops surround um, some smaller cities, and those cities might have their own utility. Um, and there are lots of partnerships going on, not only with our clients, but we see it across the country. As a co-op starts building, uh, the munis are first ones going, hey, we'll have what you're having. Let's let's work out a poll attach agreement. Let's get our community served. A lot of times those mayors are the first ones that show up in line. So um, uh, a publicly owned municipality is focused on community development. Um, they have to serve their under and unserved as well as any constituents that are within their their area. So they, they don't get to pick and choose. It's, it's wherever the the city limits are that they've got to facilitate, but they've got the same strategies to focus on. Their challenge is, is, is the bigger the city gets, um, uh, we start running into issues on, well, what's our real focus here? So, uh, and broadband may, may not be part of it. Uh, it may be growth. It may be uh, continuing to serve. It, they may be on, in a city that's in a downhill slide. So the municipalities have their own things that they have to deal with. So, and then we move over to the, the left on the investor-owned. Most investor-owned uh, companies, I know Southern Company, in particular Alabama Power, are, are focused on economic development. You know, they, they build and grow the community. Uh, they're going to grow their service footprint. They're going to grow their capabilities along with it. If you think about it, you know, a big power company only grows when more people come and use more power. Um, so, you know, they, they are all focused on developing the areas that they're within. And then they have all these other focuses here. Um, and uh, one thing we notice about the investor owns is they're usually the first ones in the room to figure out, okay, how do we work together? Many of those investor owns actually generate and transmit the power to the uh, municipals and the cooperatives. So they all have to work together hand in glove and together uh, all these organizations is I, I tried to look for some good statistics on what's been spent and uh, you know, it's, it's trillions of dollars in developmental infrastructure. So when we turn to broadband, um, we've got, we've got to, uh, uh, you can, you can go back to that original one. That that's my, there you go. When we look at broadband, the conversations change throughout those three organizations, the cooperatives, um, uh, are focused on broadband. Their constituents are asking for it. Anybody who even thinks about it 
they get overwhelming support. Uh, these folks are getting 50 and 60 and 70% take rates in areas. So uh, the broadband discussion is wide open in the co-ops. In the municipals, maybe broadband is on the agenda. On the smaller ones, it definitely is. On the big ones, it could be that accidental career change button for a CEO of a, a, a municipal um, because they also have other contenders that are already attached to their polls. So that one's uh, that one you have to understand your environment. And then for an investor, on, I'll be honest with you, broadband is Fight Club. Um, uh, they have very specific items in which a fiber broadband network could be to their own internal benefit, to improve the grid, to be able to do rapid service uh, restoration, to do demand and revenue balancing so that that broadband network can be used for their power generation and management purposes. And oh, by the way, if we want to talk broadband, cool, we'll enable you to do it. But, you know, most CEOs aren't going to aren't going to hit that hit that button. If they can develop a robust fiber network and then other people can use it, Fight Club. So that's that's kind of where I see the, the layout of, of where everyone falls. So this is just kind of a quick overview of you know, where everyone falls. You know, cooperatives and municipalities generally operate as nonprofits. They serve their communities. Um, one, one other advantage that utilities have, uh, they have excellent GIS data. Um, in fact, I would say if you pulled all the electric data together, we might have a really good source for maps for uh, NTIA and the FCC. Uh, one day, maybe somebody will ask for that. Um, uh, as I had stated before, they have large long-term asset bases and they can borrow against that. Um, it's uh, uh, CFC is the co-op that does lending. Uh, CFC has one of the best financial ratings of any organization in the country because they always pay their loans back. So uh, cooperatives and uh, uh, municipals with bonding and, and loans generally pay everything back. So, and then really that probably the last and most important thing really is they're all used to generational investments. And in order to get done what we're all here for, um, this is a generational investment. These are dollars that that uh, startup broadband companies would have difficult difficulty putting together. You know, uh, the, the the billions of dollars that are in bead, that's a great, great start, but we know that it's gonna take three, four times that amount just to get out. That the folks that can do it are, are the are the utilities. They're used to doing utility. In fact, we 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 coined the term utility grade broadband um, to service all the needs of a power company. Um, those those folks, to your point, Gary, they know how to put together a solid uh, network and they know how to spend the money to make it happen. So that's that's kind of my my take on this whole thing. Thanks, Scott. Um, so we got some questions coming in. Let me start with uh, to what extent does RUS encourage uh, its borrowers to take advantage of electric broadband um, synergies? Well, you know, so uh, uh, electric power companies have been with been involved with RUS since since its founding, pretty much. So um, I, one thing I'm pleased about, granted, you know how you have to do your reporting and stuff is a little bit different between the two, you know, the broadband side and the uh, electric power side. Um, uh, RUS is a, a level playing field. 
for everybody to operate within. The power companies do leverage it. Uh, sometimes the reporting requirements on RUS is, is stringent um, uh, to the point where uh, folks have a little bit of an allergy to it. Um, but uh, RUS is definitely a way to, uh, uh, to get something started. But I'll be honest with you, you got to be very intentional about going forward with the project. We like to recommend, hey, let's figure out how to do this thing with no funding. Let's use standard loans if possible. And then if we get a hold of good low interest RUS loans or get some grants and funding and stuff like that, that's just that's just icing on the cake. And that's how you have to think on a generational type investment. You know, let's use this money to go after this little pocket here. Well, let's make it part of the bigger picture. That, that's how, uh, uh, that's why I gotta keep it in perspective. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Chris McLean, when I had him on, on Fire for Breakfast, he was indicating that um, that rural utilities were uh, using their electric money to build up broadband, that actually more of its electric funding was going to broadband. And even when speeds were at 4.1, the rural electric community was building out fiber. So uh, the rural electric co-ops have been kind of ahead of the curve. Yeah. Day. Well, and it's interesting. So, um, you know, the, the backbones that these these folks build, they have to use it. They're connecting up their substations to start. So, you know, this they're using it as a uh, as a method to uh, be the platform. So, you know, grid modernization, connecting up their networks, but also, you know, five, we, we already know that we don't know the limits of fiber. Um, so being able to slice it a couple different ways so we can achieve other objective that's that's how the cooperatives have generally approached it and that's it it's a brilliant it's a brilliant plan and you know cooperatives they're there to serve their constituents not just with power <laughs> you know broadband gas water whatever their constituents need they're going to figure out a way to do it so, yeah, so there's what is there a little over 900 rural electric co-ops and yeah. a little over 200 are deploying broadband today so why wouldn't all 900 be deploying broadband? That that's a great question. Um, some of the co-ops do have uh, you know limited territories, particularly out in the West, you know where you've got literally five to ten miles between uh, between homes. So sometimes it's cost prohibitive. Um, I think it also depends on where their leadership is in their career. Um, you know, if, if you're on the sunset of your career, do you do you make a generational investment? Uh, is this a good legacy or a bad legacy? Um, generally, um, I, I think the early adopters have have come through. I think the the next stage, the next 30%, are going to rely on working together with others. I think you'll start seeing some pull together. So I think they're waiting on some strength in numbers. Um, and then the the last third, um, you know, it you know, they may have to have some new blood in to go. All right, I'll push that button. <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, you mentioned Jay Stowe. Uh, I remember when we were, you know, saying, Jay, why don't you build out the fiber network? And you know, he said, hey, I'm the CEO of a utility, so I'm conservative by definition. Yeah. And it wasn't until, you know, Google came in and said, hey, if you build it, we'll um, pay you, you know, for the, all the dark fiber. Oh, yeah. Well, and Jay's very focused on the mission of, of his company. Um, and, and, and his company today, um, you know, there uh, uh, he works for a, an investor-owned company, and you know that they, they have a strong directive to you know build a network to support their electric operations. That's their mission, 
Um, and that's why I put mission focused on that last slide because you know, honestly, when you're running an organization, you know, you're, you're paid by your constituents and your board to accomplish the mission. Um, and that's, I, that's the one thing I, I certainly applaud Jay for. He's very, very focused on accomplishing that mission, whatever it, whatever it might be. So yeah, he did hey, a so job. In one, one of the questions that came in is, what is one of the biggest unexpected expenses you've seen as an electric co-op, you know, after about two years of deploying broadband service? Yeah, um, you know, with, with with any any project, the more zeros you add, uh, the more the more problems that you uh, run into. I, I feel like, you know, uh, the early adopters probably ran through a bunch of the problems early on. So, I think the uh, uh, the biggest the biggest deficit that people run into is uh, maybe the operational cost of getting started. You know, trying to make sure that you have enough people. Um, and this is true in any startup business. Um, you try to run it lean and then you realize, okay, we're not doing a great job. So we have to spend a little bit more on the operations to get it up to the, the same kind of level that we already have the electric plant at. Um, so I, I think it's, it's, investing in the right number of people uh, tends to be a surprise to them because it is it is a good bit different from their existing model. It's hard to transition their folks into talking both. So that's probably the biggest expense is making sure you have enough people to uh, support yeah. them. If this the was project. a few years ago, I remember Bruce Purdy always would say that his the biggest issue was offering video. And so, you know, basically saying don't offer video because your call center be lit up like a, you know, Christmas. But, um, you know, so now that I think our, most of them are offering over top, right? They're not offering video anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, early, early on, I, and I worked with a bunch of telephone companies that put significant investments in head ends. And then Hulu shows up and it's like, okay, we might have found the, the easy button this. Um, over the top is definitely the way to, to go, um, you know. Uh, building a big head end to support the content providers. Yeah, the most expensive part of that is not necessarily building out the capital expense, it's paying everybody afterwards. So now that YouTube TV and Hulu and all those other entrants are in there, you just provide a really, really good broadband network and you can pick whatever TV content provider you want to. So yes, I, uh, we, we rarely have anybody ask and if they ask we go let's introduce you to a few people they would say let's not do that uh, so one of the comments that just came in was um, any comments on the proposed bill in congress that uh, promotes the use of co-ops for broadband infrastructure um, so i don't know if that's they're talking about ija the um, the bill signed into law where it is you know promoting it is a lot more favorable to non-traditional providers. Um, yeah, you so I've, I haven't read the, the bill, um, so, uh, but I'm sure my, my colleague, uh, uh, Mike Dunn, has is, is already dug into it. I, I rely heavily on, on his opinion. Uh, he, he, he is uh, our, our director of funding, um, and he knows all his stuff. You know, I will say this, um, uh, a lot of the funding uh, has not shown favor to the non-traditional providers. In fact, it leans to the traditional providers, which you know a lot of times have not made the proper investment. So, you know, even if we give them money, are they going to make the proper investment? Um, anything that would be more 
favorable for the non-traditional providers is is a plus. We know we have to also wade through the folks that you know don't necessarily use fiber. Um, that that's always going to be a challenge when you start talking about non-traditional providers. Um, but anything that would level that playing field at least would be advantageous. But I'll be honest with you, um, municipals and co-ops are used to unlevel playing fields. You know, that's a lot of times why they've had to be built because they had to go fill a gap. So, well, speaking of gaps, um, one of the questions is, what are the top three? What are your top three recommendations or actions for uh, both utilities and telecom providers to reduce the gap between the, these two worlds? <laughs> Ooh, okay, top three, huh? <laughs> uh, I think more meetings and discussions, understanding why we're doing this. Um, in my brain, uh, access to information and education, all the things that broadband allows us to do to bring our country closer together, I think is critical for uh, our continued growth. I think it's critical to our economy. I think it's also critical to our defense. Um, so we got to all remember why we're doing this, number one. That may or may not happen. Um, Gary, I do, I think your organization uh, is very, very well timed um, because you put those same people in the room. And, and I think it's very, very important to remind people why we're all here. Uh, so that, that's number one. Uh, number two, I do think leveling that playing field um, kind of forces everybody to start talking a little bit. Um, now, I've got friends in the telecom industry. Um, uh, uh, both are very successful young CEOs, and they've done a wonderful job partnering up with co-ops around them. Um, and they, uh, they apparently didn't read the book on how nobody works together. They've done a great job partnering up. Yeah, so that kind of takes me to my third one. I, I think sharing those practices on how to be partners together, I think is is super important. Um, you know, that that last third of, of co-ops, you know, uh, and maybe the folks sitting on the fence, do they really want to run a broadband network? Um, and if, if that's what's holding them back, we need our, our service providers that know how to run one to come in, leave their agenda aside for a minute and figure out, okay, how can we work together? I'll run it. You go get the money to build it and then let's come up with something equitable so we can serve all these people. I, that, that is the ticket to get a lot of this stuff done. And, and uh, uh, Eric and Jonathan, my two friends have done a great job doing that. So, so. Well, you know, we've seen um, awesome public private partnerships, you know, Huntsville Utilities and Google Fiber. Um, yesterday we you know had um, the Colorado, the um, Colorado Springs utilities. Yeah. So there's, you know, there is a great way for experienced providers to help out utilities if they don't want to have to stand mm -hmm. up that part of business. Hey, Scott, we're out of time, but thank you so much. We appreciate all the work that you and Fiberize are doing to help the utilities launch broadbands to the communities they serve. But that's what I love about the utilities is they are focused on the communities they serve and, um, you know, broadband is about people. So I look forward to joining um, for you guys getting back together again next Wednesday. We're going to be discussing new evidence. The end-to-end -end fiber broadband is changing lives with the Fiber Broadband Association's Techno Technology Committee, led by Chair John George from OFS 
Mike Render of RVA and the Fiber Broadband Association VP of Research, Debbie Kish. You're not going to want to miss that. We'll see you guys again next Wednesday.